Welcome to Broadway's Backbone, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are Broadway's Backbone. This is episode eight. Our special guest is Charlie Sutton. Welcome, Charlie, to the show. Thank you for having me. Sure, so I'm going to just start off by uh, reading your Broadway credits. You started off with Wicked, Lacage, Cry Baby, The Addams Family, Woman on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, How to Succeed in Business, Catch Me If You Can, The Strada Jones, Kinky Boots, and currently you're in American in Paris. Yes. Uh, was there anything I missed? Nope, that's it. That's it? All right. Well, uh, ironically, you're the first person I'm interviewing that I haven't worked with. Um, so I, I don't know as much dish about you as, uh, as other guests. But I find it interesting how it works on Broadway is that once you work with a certain choreographer or director, they seem to cast you uh, over and over or you get a certain, you get in with a certain group. Uh, do you find that to be true? Uh, absolutely. You know, I find that once a director or a choreographer tends to like you, they tend to call you again. You know, uh, Jerry Mitchell's a really good example for me. Um, I, I work with Jerry a lot. Uh, and I think it's because, I hope it's because, I show up to work, I do my job really great every night, I am present and accounted for every rehearsal. Anytime we're in tech, the 10 minute call is over and I'm the first one on stage. You know, that's, I think, I hope, that's why he keeps calling me back. Which I think is fantastic because, uh... I believe in a good worth ethic, but so many people, they're like, oh, I didn't get that, that so-and-so only cast their friends, and I hate when they say that certain choreographers cast their friends. They cast people repeatedly because they're good to work with. I, t I tend to think so. Um, you know, it's one thing to hire your friends, but if your friends don't do a good job, then, then what are you getting? At the end of the day, it's your neck on the line, and so they want people that they can count on, and I think that's a big thing in this business, is people like Jerry, like uh, Rob Ashford, they want people that they can count on day in and day out. If they give them a step during tech or during a preview or they have to change an entirely new number, they know those people can pull that number off when it comes to going in front of an audience or even in front of critics. Well, I, I completely agree. So how did you get your start and where are you from? So I'm from Miami, um, born and raised. Uh, I moved to New York when I was eight. Yeah, uh, I went to college for about a week and a half, maybe two <laughs> weeks. Uh, stay in school, everybody, stay in school. But I went to college for about a week and a half. I was auditioning a lot. Um, I went to the first open non-equity call of Wicked, where there, I think there was like 700 people. There had to be like seven or 800 people. It was a shit ton of people. Um, and uh, by the end of the day it went down to about three of us. And then from there, the three of us had to go back and do invited calls. So I did the invited calls for like another three or four days. And then from that, I actually got the Aida tour, <laughs> which I think is hysterical. I was waiting and waiting That's and waiting for I that. I know, waiting and waiting and waiting for that wicked phone call. And they actually called me to do Aida. So I did Aida for six months. Um, and the tour ended, and then I got a phone call maybe two weeks later to um, be the first vacation swing for Wicked. That is fantastic. Yeah. So your background is primarily in dance, 
what forms of dance is it? All forms? All forms. I really grew up. I mean, I'll tell you a funny story. My mom was a dancer, um, and she was pregnant with me on a stage in Miami and gave birth. So from the get-go, oh my, my mom, God. my mom was like ready for me to dance. I was the one that was going to dance. Me out of the four kids, I was going to dance. So she made sure to put me first in tap, which I think is really funny. I think maybe it was the most masculine, but I think it helped me the most because it, it's so rhythmic. It made me really listen to musicality. But from there, um, she really pushed very, really, really hard ballet. So uh, it was always ballet, jazz, tap. It was usually sort of my go-to. Um, and then, of course, in high school, I went to an, uh, an art school called um, New World School of the Arts. And so we did ballet for an hour and a half every day, modern for uh, an hour and a half every day. And then I went to my dance studio for about three to four hours every night. Wow. So there was a lot of dancing. It wasn't until um, junior or senior year where I sort of even knew about theater or sort of discovered theater. Um, so I sort of switched over into then and started like learning how to sing and taking acting classes. Um, and funny enough, when I was leaving Miami, I was not going to move to New York. I was going to go to L.A. I wanted to be a music video dancer. It was the thing of, you yeah. know, it's what you did in 2002. Everyone wanted to tour with Britney Spears and, and, and Janet Jackson. Um, and thank God my dance teachers told me to go to New York, and, and so I did. That's great. Well, how did you get your equity card? My equity card was through uh, AIDA. It was through AIDA. So was, that was the, my first real professional gig, I guess you would say. So as a young boy dancing, even in Miami seems a pretty liberal place, but did you have to deal with a lot of, a lot of teasing and stuff like that? You know, in uh, elementary and middle school, yeah. Um, I was extremely lucky that my high school was so liberal. Uh, there were... I mean, really, to be frank, at least more than half of my, my high school was gay or lesbian, so it was really, Miami is very open. So I never really had an issue with that. That was never part of my, my, my deal. Um, so yeah, it was, it was quite, that was kind of the easy part. Oh, that's good. And you had supportive parents as well? They love what I do. They always have. They've always supported me. They come see me in shows. Um, yeah. They're fantastic. Great. So with Aida, you started, uh, that's how you met Wayne Salento. Yes. And then Wayne brought you into uh, Wicked. The love was, of my life. I love you, Wayne, if you're listening. Oh, you never know. I know. He, um, so he brought you into Wicked. So Wicked being your Broadway debut, how was it debuting in something that is such a mammoth hit? Ooh, um, you know, I really don't think I knew the gravity of what I was getting into. Uh, you say um, gravity. <laughs> Touche. Um, you know, I, I just don't, I didn't know, I think, how lucky I was at the time for getting the gig that I got. Um, even to this day, I'm super lucky. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I was, I was a kid, to be frank. I, I just thought, you know, people, this is what you did. You went into to shows. And I don't even think I knew that Wicked was even that big. Mm. when I went into it. I don't think I knew what it was. I just knew it was a show and there was cool dancing in it. And I remember I liked the audition, so I was really grateful that I got it because I got to do cool dancing. So as a vacation swing, were you covering several roles or were you just going in for one track at a time? 
At the beginning, I was just learning one track at a time. So it was one track took a vacation, I learned the track. Another, you know, took vacation, I learned another track. It eventually got to, I think even like two or three weeks in very quickly, it got to the point where multiple people were calling out. So I think within the month of being on Broadway, I was doing split and triple split tracks. Oh my gosh. For an 18 year old kid, which was insane. And I don't know how I did it. And I have to thank Mark Myers for teaching me the show to perfection because if it weren't for him I wouldn't I would be a disaster um so yeah it was I you know it went from uh I think you know learning what swinging was to to the epic the epic um scale of what swinging can be which is going on for almost you know half of the men ensemble in the show I swang once and hated it. Did you like it? No, I still hate it to this day. It's quite <laughs> terrible. Um, you know, I think thank thank God I have Wicked to thank. Uh, thank God I have Wicked as like a, a reference point for swings, because when you go into a show and as an ensemble, you realize how hard the swing actually has to work just to get the show off its feet. If it if they're on for one track or two tracks or sometimes three tracks, you know. They are the heart and soul of the show. They make the show tick. Without them, a show doesn't exist. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, someone said that uh, uh, earlier that if uh, Broadway's backbone is the ensemble, like the nerves that go in the backbone are the swings. <laughs> I absolutely 100% agree. Yeah. Uh, um, so from there you went into uh, La Caja Full, and that choreography, which is Jerry Mitchell's, was unbelievable. I mean, I just remember there being a passerelle and doing jump splits over the passerelle in heels, uh, how difficult was that to do on your body and just uh, eight times a week? That was my first experience with a really hard show. The first of a lot to come. I thought that was the hardest show I was ever, ever going to do. I was going to be wrong very quickly. Um, <laughs> you know, funny enough, everyone thinks the heels were the hardest part. But in fact, the hardest part of that show, especially the can-can, was the fact that we had basically... I think it was about 15 to 20 pound skirt on our hips. So if, if you think of dancing with a weight around your body that constantly moved, that was the hardest part. It wasn't the actual heels. Hmm. I would keep the heels on and take the skirt off if I could. And trust me, I probably tried. But um, <laughs> uh, that, that was the hardest part. And especially there was a point where um, I was covering Andy Pellick, who was the white bird. And so there was a section where he, you did the white bird section into the can-can. And I'm pretty sure the three times I actually covered it, I went off stage and yacked afterwards because it was so hard. It was so hard. But it won Best Choreography. How did that it feel did. to be a dancer in the Best Choreography Oh, my show? gosh. That, that was the first time that ever happened. And you just felt so proud. Um, we started working on the show with Jerry. I think he brought like four or five of us into a room uh, before anything started. And we worked on it for about... I don't know, anywhere from two weeks to a month. And it's when you get to do that, when you get to really pre-pro the show with the director and the choreographer, and then and then you see it evolve, and then you see it win something, and you have to think in your mind somewhere that that has something to do with me. I gave something in that room. I did something to help make this moment happen. And then you just feel proud. You, you feel proud that you helped that choreographer, that director, wins something because it's somewhere you you were a part of that. Absolutely, you brought a lot to the table, which is why Jerry, we'll get to it, repeatedly brings you back to his table. Yeah, I'm, which is a good thing. What happened with injuries and that type of stuff? 
Uh, I know a lot of dancers were pulled hamstrings and can-can. How do you hold your body up? Ooh, I mean, I was still young at that point. So <laughs> I was really lucky. Um, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but a proper warm-up is always essential. I did not do that. I, um, I stretched, and I, you know, I never really hurt myself in that show. I was really lucky, and I really probably just chalked that up to being young. Um, but for some of the older people in the cast, it was quite difficult. And just because it was, there were a lot of kicks, and there was a, a lot of tight, quick movement, which made it really exciting, but also made it really strenuous on the body. So the next show you did was Cry Baby, and oh I know as a performer I've had some big flops, but I, I like some of my flops. <laughs> uh, but what is an experience for you, like, you get your heart broken in, when you're in a flop? Uh, Cry Baby was my, uh, that was our baby. I mean, we worked on that, I think we ran on Broadway for th three months, at most, three months, but we worked on it for over a year, maybe a year mm. and a half. So while, you know, most people look at it as like a, a really short-lived run, for some of us, it was a year and a half show. It's something that we grew and cultured and developed. Um, that show specifically was one of, I have a top three, and that's maybe my, that is my top three, that show. Um, you know, that's where you make friends. To be honest, I think the flops is where you make the most friends. You have to band together you see that there's no one in the audience and you have to push each other so that you do the best show, every show, even if there's sometimes 300 people in the audience. Wow. But that's what it's about. That's when you realize you do it for the art of it and not for the success of it. Absolutely. Well, the next show you did, uh, it did have a good life um, and had some big names in it, was uh, The Addams Family. And uh, a lot of uh, the talk about The Addams Family was backstage drama. Some shows uh, have backstage drama and that affects the whole experience of the show on stage and off stage. So is it true there was some type of tension backstage at your show? Yeah, you know, there's always tension somewhere backstage. I mean, every show that I've done has a lot. Wow, a lot of the shows I have tension backstage. Um, <laughs> but um, that show, you know, it did. It did have a lot of tension backstage. I think from the get-go, the show had a really artistic vision to it. Um, some people agreed with it, some people did not. And I think that's what made sort of the friction happen. Um, and so when we came back to New York and it sort of went one way, I think it created a little bit of drama. And of course, people's egos are involved. Anytime there's an award involved, I think there's egos involved. Um, so everyone was just, you know, there comes to a point people just start fending for themselves. And I think that's what started happening with that show. People just fend for themselves and stop, start, stop worrying about the show and just worry about if their performance is going to move them forward and possibly win them something. Mm. And that's when friction comes. And does that hurt the show? Absolutely. Personally, in my own opinion, the original version of Adam's Family, where, while it was a little... Um, uh, I don't know. While it was different... It at least had a point of view. It was, I think it was really interesting. It was a, an interesting take on the show. But I think people got scared, and then that's when people's, um, people's uh, 
people got sh shook up and they wanted to make sure they were not going to look bad in a show. And that's why everything changed so drastically. But that show's actually had a good life on the road and it's being done regionally Jeez everywhere. Louise, my friend Dante Keen, uh, she sets all of the shows. I think it's at like 10 or 15 versions of the show now, which is fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm glad the show's done well and Jerry Zach's version is so brilliant and fantastic and I'm happy for it. I, if you asked me if that would have happened in Chicago out of town, I would have said never in a million years. But then something like Crybaby isn't being done regionally at all. Never. I, they just, in fact, emailed us about doing a 54 Below show just to do the music. Oh, wow. Which I'm really happy about because it's really some really fun, fun, fun music. You know, but that's how the cookie crumbles. People decide to see it or they don't. Right. And a big thing has to have to do with, you know, people going to see B.B. Newworth and Nathan Lane. Right. That helps. And the fact that the Adams Family is a household name. We all grew up on the Adams Family. So anybody coming to the city knows the name and wants to go see that. So a lot of Broadway shows are now based on uh, big movies, but I think uh, there's not a lot of them that are based on a foreign film. Uh. Um, and so and that adds a whole different element. And your next show, uh, Woman on the Verge of the Nervous Breakdown, I can honestly say I bought tickets the day they went on sale. Oh, really? Yes. Thank you. Uh, because um, like Pedro Amadovar is my favorite filmmaker. Uh -huh. uh, so I rushed out, saw it, I saw it in previews. Um, I really liked it. Just I was in it, so I was shocked that people were um, not not so involved in it. It was probably one of the most star-studded casts in history. Oh my god! I mean, it had every it had anybody star. you could ask for. Um, who was it? Patty, Sherry, um, who else? Brian, Justin Guarini, St Brian, Stokes Brian Stokes Mitchell, Mitchell, Laura Benanti. You name it, they were in it. I mean, they 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 couldn't have asked for a better cast. Oh, really absolutely. and truly. And how was that experience? Was uh, like, did Pedro just give his blessing and like not he wasn't even there? Or? Yeah, he never really, uh, he never really came around. He came around for opening, from what we're told. I never really saw him. Um, but yeah, that was about it. That was it for Pedro. Very interesting. Yeah. What, what do you think the problems might have been in the tra the translation to English, or was it something American audiences got? Because it's. It's it's uh, a farce comedy, but in a different country. I mean, it has a lot of elements that you would think would work in a musical. Sure. You know, I think, to be completely frank, that script is the best script I think I've ever read. Uh, I've ever read in my mm -hmm. entire life, in my, by far, my entire life. It is really, really, really quite good. And what Bart was trying to do with it was, really, quite fantastic. The problem. I, I personally think is that we just didn't have enough time. Oh. You know, a big thing for shows is to go out of town, is to do an out of town tryout, to practice the show, get the show right, tech the show, and then bring it here so that you have enough time to finesse it. And we spent so much time trying to tech the show, we never got to finesse the show. And so it basically was a really raw, raw show with some sloppy technical elements. Mm. Because I think if we would have gone out of town, we would have really, really honed it in, I still think it'd be running. Oh, well, that's good to hear. And I'm wondering if that will ever have a, um, a regional life as well. You know, Bart just did it in London. I saw him in Paris when I was there, and he came while he was in London teching um, Women on the Verge, and he said, of course it's better. 
of course, he, you know, it's his second, his second try, his second chance at it. It's much like an out-of-town tryout. He got his second chance at really now attacking the show instead of just teching, like attacking the technical elements of the show. Because if anybody saw it, the show was on treadmills. The whole show was on treadmills. Right. And that's never been done before, really. And it was, let me be clear, a disaster. <laughs> so it was really hard to tech. I'm sure one day someone can tackle it and it'd be beautiful. But it's a really hard technical element to try to deal with. Um, but yeah, it he he did it and he said it was fantastic. So I hope I do hope it's done regionally again because the music that score is breathtaking. Right. So your next show that you did is uh, How to Succeed, which is was Rob Bashford. Is that correct? Uh, I saw. Um, I didn't see this version of it, but I saw Wayne's version of it mm -hmm. like five times. I'm older. Okay. Than, I'm older than you. Um, so uh, I've never uh, actually haven't worked for Rob either. But uh, root word on the street is. His stuff is really, really hard. It is. It's <laughs> quite difficult. Um, it's really hard, and he expects a lot of his dancers, and he should. You know, that's his style. That's his MO. That's what he likes. And if he can't do it, get out. Um, that show was extremely hard, I will have to say. From the get-go, um, that one was a funny one for me, because it wasn't... Um, uh, women on the Verge, and I actually went from Women on the Verge to Catch Me If You Can, I believe. And when Catch Me If You Can closed, I actually just jumped into How to Succeed for three months. Oh. Um, once, I think the day we got our notice, um, Rob actually called me on the phone and asked me if I would jump in for three months because um, someone had to take a leave, quick leave of absence um, for family issues. And... Um, and so I learned the show really quickly, really scarily, and jumped into the show really kind of frantically. Um, and it might be, it's on the top of, maybe top four of hardest shows I've ever done. Any Rob Ashford show you do is going to be the hardest show you've ever done, really. <laughs> Let's be frank. Because it's, you know, you're doing 37 bot maws in one number, and possibly a dive roll, and possibly football rolls. So you're, you're getting a P90X workout. Eight times a week. All right, so I won't be auditioning for Rob now. <laughs> now I'm forty. I, I'm past my Rob. Listen, days. I'm thirty-one and I'm getting close. <laughs> uh, so let's get back then to uh, Catch Me If You Can. Um, I loved the show. I saw it um, closing night, and was just riveted and actually kind of shocked. Um, so what is, what's the frustration of something when you have something that is really of good quality? But then it's just not catching on. People aren't going to see it. It's not because it's a bad show. It's not because it was poorly reviewed. People just aren't coming. That's really hard because especially as an ensemble member, you don't... There's nothing you can do about it. The only thing you can do is keep your spirits high and do the best show you can every day. Right. Um, and which I will say can be really hard when you look out to an audience and there's 500 people sitting in a 1,500-seat house. That's quite difficult, you know. You're, especially shows that are really hard, you know, it's hard to muster up that energy to kind of do it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those you kind of have to chuck your arms up in the air and say, I don't know wh why everyone decided not to see this. I think a lot of times, to be frank, um, once a review comes out about a show, audiences already have their mind made up. And when that review came out for that show, it's funny. We started, and 
everyone loved the show and always did a standing ovation right away when the show, uh, uh, when the bow started. But once the review came out, it's as though no one wanted to stand and everyone was leaving during bows. Just because, you know, Ben Brantley decided the show wasn't good and so it wasn't. So it's kind of hard to sort of have to muster up that feeling of, no, my show is good. My show is good and I'm proud of what I do and I have to keep doing it eight times a week. Well, that leads right up to my next question, um, especially that goes to like Lestrada Jones. How, for you uh, personally, not show-wise, deal with your self-esteem and your ego when you know you're doing good work, but whether it's the audiences, uh, you feel like you're not getting that validation. Because even with Lestrada Jones, it transferred. It was a hit. Everyone was like, I, I, there was a, in every magazine, critics pick, critics pick. And yet, that's another, I mean, it seems like some of your most fascinating credits are the ones that weren't successful. It's so bizarre, isn't it? Um, I don't know. It's really, it's really quite interesting. It's, it's heart-wrenching because at the end of the day, these great shows that you think people should be watching, they're just not. Because for some reason, they're going to see... What was that? What was during that season, Mrs. Strata Jones? Uh, you know, Joe Schmo somewhere else. You know, th- right. it just and wasn't there. Book of Mormon was... Uh, oh, well, yeah. That that's going to take that audience. Catch me if you can. Yeah, that's going to take that but audience. Strata Jones, I'm not sure what that was that year. It, you know, it just it's heartbreaking because the people that come to see it end up loving it. They love the show. And it, it becomes really frustrating it becomes frustrating because you can't there's nothing you can do and how does that uh, does that upset you or are you just like I can I'm just on to the next I'm the next but I mean you as a person um some people can just compartmentalize it and be like oh it's just a job it it is just a job at the end of the day and I think that's how how you have to sort of view it because things are not always going to sway your way, whether you think a show is good or not. You sort of just have to, for me, my job is to go in there and do the show every day. And that's how I view it. And no matter what, if the show's a hit or not, I have to, I have to show up and I have to pretend as though it's the best show on Broadway every time. And for Liz Estrada, it wasn't hard. I mean, I thought the show was freaking fantastic. Um, But others didn't so it, was, it became hard that one became hard you were the dance captain on that show I was oh my gosh the stories on that <laughs> that was um, that was fun I mean the, the hardest thing honestly is learning to play basketball you know a bunch of actors learning how to play basketball and at the end of the day in the, in the, in the finale number if you didn't make a basket the show couldn't continue Really? There was po- po- uh, uh, portions of the show. If you didn't make the basket, you, we, we can't go on because that team has to win. The team has to win. This has to, you know, it has to happen for you to move on. So it was, that was a very nerve-wracking show for that sort of respect. Not to mention you're dancing with basketballs and you're doing uh. hip-hop and, you know, it was, it's a very, you know, different show than anything I've ever done. And who was the choreographer on that show? Dance Connect Us. Oh, so that's, uh, was that new for you, or how did you get uh, connected with him? Um, his assistant, Jessica Hartman, who's a dear friend of mine, um, you know, they did the show downtown, and they were looking for standbys for when they came back, and a dance captain, and 
you know, she was talking to me about it and she thought of me and she thought it'd be really good for me. And once I read the script, I was like, I'm doing this show. There's no way I'm not doing this show. And funny enough, I don't remember if it was Dan, if it was one of the writers that said, I want to actually say it was one of the writers that said, um, it was funny when you were in that audition, I could tell you're not leaving that room until you book it. He could, he was like, from that moment on, I was like, okay, he's going to get it then. Because nice. I wasn't, I was not going to leave that room until I got it, and I was going to get it. Did so you, I got it. Did you always have that type of confidence as a person or performer? I mean, you know what? Not necessarily for like sides and music and stuff like that. As a dancer, yeah, I can walk into a room and 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 have that confidence easily. That's my go-to. That's what I've done since I was three years old. As a singer and as an actor, not necessarily, you know, I get nervous like everybody does. You know, you hold the paper and you shake a little. Yes. Um, it's the worst, isn't it? Yes, especially because they can see the paper they shaking. They can see the paper shaking. Everyone knows you're nervous. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable. Um, but for some reason, I did so much homework on that. I did so much. I did so much research. Not research. Uh, it's basketball players. But I did so much, I don't know, internal digging. I just, like, found myself in these characters. And I had to read five of them in one audition and one of them was a hip-hop guy the other one was you know this nerd it ranged so vast and wide that i had to jump like a schizophrenic you know from one character to the next and yet i was cool as a cucumber and i don't know how i don't know what was looking down on me that day but i did it and it was surreal it was fantastic and that's probably what he saw is the fact that i was not leaving that room until someone said you booked it well, that's, I mean, that's sometimes you have to do that. You have to just be Step able to up. be like, whatever's going to happen, I'm going to do the best and I'm going to get it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting though that sometimes you do uh, the best you've ever done and you don't get it. And then I've had gotten jobs where you walk in and you're like, oh, whatever. Depends on. It's so weird, isn't it? Yes. Sometimes you're like, eh, I don't even, I could do the show. I could not do the show. And then you book it. It's, it's so bizarre. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, it's so much luck. It is, uh. It is, always takes the talent, but sometimes it is the right place, the right time. And what they're looking for, if you're the right height, if you're the right weight, if you're the right look, if you're, you know. There's nothing worse than being typed out. You know? <laughs> but then you realize I've been typed out from a lot of choreographers that I know that are like, oh, we just don't want to waste your time because we like you. Absolutely, and I prefer that 100%. Yes. Like, on your feet. <laughs> I begged Jerry Mitchell to put me in that show because I want to work with him for the one millionth time. And he said, honey, 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 honey. You're not Latin. You're not Latin. I'm sorry. <laughs> Funny enough, Jerry Mitchell, I'm Latin. It's Charlie Rodriguez Sutton is my full name. Really? I am. So I am Latin, but I don't look Latin. So no, you're, 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 you're never going to cast me. It's fine. Well, speaking of Jerry, uh, you went back to Kinky Boots. I did. And um, like I, could, I saw Kinky Boots twice. And... You were the one everyone talked about. You were the one I noticed. It didn't look like you ate ever. I didn't. You didn't eat ever. So, uh, Kinky Boots, I mean, that, how is it, I mean, using that show as an example, I mean, the male body image is so, it's, it's now it's much more difficult in the world, but also in, in Broadway and with you, in that show alone, you had, I mean, you had to be, like, real thin. How do you, uh, how do you deal with having to do that at part of your job? You know, that show was extremely special, um... It, um, no one asked me to lose weight. No one asked me to look a certain way. But for some reason, I feel like we were in the reading or something happened. And, and all of a sudden he turned to me and he was like, you're going to be the round girl. And I was like, okay. 
okay. And from then on, it completely changed my perspective of who I was in the show. And all of a sudden, I realized I was Katie Weber. Mm. For those of you who know, she's this gorgeous, drop-dead gorgeous woman. So I thought, if I'm going to be this drop-dead gorgeous woman in a two-piece bikini that Greg Barnes is going to make, I've got to look anorexic. I have to look beautiful. So I went on a crazy... It's not crazy. It's actually a very sophisticated diet. Not diet. It's a lifestyle. They call it a lifestyle. But, um... Uh... By choice. Because I wanted to. And it felt kind of special for a, a part that I could actually lose weight. I've never done that before. I've never had to change my body that much for a show. And I was kind of interested by it. So I did it. And it was really fun. No, I think that's great. I love it when... Uh when people think, oh, you're in the ensemble, you're in the back saying peas and carrots. When you hear ensemble members talk about like, no, I'm given creative license to create a character. And you girls, there's six of you? Correct. You all, you, I mean, you guys got a, a great bow at the end. You guys weren't ensemble. You no, guys were characters. Very much so. We played the same character the whole show. We never went back to a boy. We never even changed, I don't know, drag personas. We, we stayed the same people. So it was really, I think that was actually the first time in my life I was able to stay one character throughout a show, which actually felt like a principal. It was our first time feeling, my first time feeling like I was a principal in a show. So I took it very seriously. So I did what I had to do, even though people called me, um, what's that guy from um, Dallas Buyers Club? Oh, Kevin, Matthew McConaughey? Matthew McConaughey. Oh. Um, because I lost so much weight. But that's, you know, that's what I, I was going for, a look. I knew what I wanted, and so I went for it. And it was amazing. Thank you. Were you, um, were you, could you work out? Could you go to the gym? I mean, or no, you just start, the show? No, starting as of the out-of-town tryout, I was really very hard on myself, where I would run about three miles about four times a week, um, and I would not work out. Not a muscle, not a bicep curl, not a push-up. Wow. Because I wanted to lose the definition. I wanted to lose any any masculine feature that I had, which then took a long time to get back. But, you know, it was it was extremely worth it for me. That's great. Did you have uh, – what's your history with injuries? Did you get injuries in that show? Have you had to deal with a lot now? Now you're a little older than you were in Wicked. Oh, yeah. Not much. Um, I was, what, 29, 30? Yeah, around 29, 30 for Kinky Boots. It was um, – you know, Kiki Boots was an interesting one. It It's not that hard of a show, but the heels are so extremely high. It does a lot of pressure on your calf, on your hips, and on your back. Um, so that's basically what I had to deal with a lot. But I learned at least by 29.30 to give myself a bar every day. So I gave myself bar ha at 15 till. So I gave like a 15-minute bar every day. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. This is a silly question, but uh, I worked with Gary Beach, and you did oh, the Kaj with I him. I love him so much. And after the Kaj and the producers, people just assumed that he was a drag queen. So this is your second role as a drag queen. Do people just assume that, like, you get to take home the dresses and stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, um, it's funny. I had to, from the Kaj, I had to really push back against that uh, drag queen aesthetic so that I could get the next job. It happened fairly quickly for me, um, but people were, my agent especially, was afraid that, you know, once you're a drag queen, it's hard for casting and directors and everybody else to 
look at you in any other way. But from what I was told, they said, if you can do it once, if you can push back once, you can do it again. Which was really interesting, because it means if you can be a drag queen and then go back to being a boy. Being a basketball a dude, player. <laughs> a basketball player. A, a, you know, well, you know any of those like um, bizarre male characters. You can do anything. Absolutely. So that was the... Once Kinky Boots came around, I kind of wasn't nervous about it again. Mm. I knew, you know, even if I drop weight, even if I look like a Skeletor, you know, I'm. it's going to be fine because people are going to realize I can bounce back from this again. And that you're not just a dancer. You're, you're an artist creating a role. You're an actor. Correct. I'm not just... I'm not a man playing a drag queen. Right. I'm not, you know... A, the funny thing, too, even, you know going on dates people ask me they're like oh so you were a drag queen in the show and I'm like no I was the farthest thing from a drag queen I'm not a drag queen I don't play a drag queen I hold a lot of respect for drag queens they deal with a lot and they're very talented for their own right but what I do is play a character and this character is a drag queen that is Katie Weber I love you Katie Weber um, and um, so I play this character and that's what that is it's not I don't have these dresses at home I don't I don't play I don't go out on Saturday nights as Katie Weber you know that's once it's done on Broadway it's done on Broadway I don't I don't I don't do it again yeah it is just very funny how people think that also mind you the only reason I'm really pretty is because of all of the costumes and wigs that we have you put those you know bad wigs on me I'm not going to be pretty not as pretty as I was back then. Well, your parents also gave you good genes, so it's oh. not just Greg Barnes. Ah, yes, but <laughs> wigs, you know, wigs and costumes help. Oh, no, absolutely. So this is the show you got your gypsy robe for. Uh, Kinky Boots, yes, yes. I actually, funny enough, you know, I was really depressed the fact that I had to, I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know how to deal with getting my gypsy robe and having to be ready in time for the show. Oh, and you so, knew you were getting it? I did. I did the math. I did the math. I looked at, you know, you look. Once you get to a certain number, you start looking. Um, so I looked, and I, you know, I, I sort of figured out. I was like, okay, I'm going to get it. And I was like, if I get it, that means I'm going to be in drag, and I don't want to get it in drag. That's super weird. I, I would love to get it just as me, as a normal person. And then I realized that's not an option. So if I'm going to get it in drag, I'm going to get it in the best possible drag. So once they, they uh, said my name... I threw off my robe, and I was in my two-piece bikini. Nice. Might as well, right? Absolutely. If you're going to get a gypsy robe, get it in a two-piece bikini. Oh, no, I completely agree. So the next show that I have on here is your current show. Is that correct? Uh, American in Paris? It is American in Paris. Now, that's uh, currently running. It was just uh, uh, a Tony's, which is so cool. Uh, I think I had asked you right before to do this interview. You said yes, and then I was watching on the Tony's. And I was like, oh, that's so... So exciting. How was that? You've been on the Tonys uh, several times. Yeah. Uh, how is this experience different? Um, this is the first time on the Tony stage where you had to be super technical, which is, it sounds so silly, but, you know, it's a, the show is very, it's very technical based and, and dancing on a steel, steel hard stage, it hurts. <laughs> to be frank um, it's also exciting the show's really beautiful and um, it was really thrilling to watch the pas de deux from the wing and knowing that people are gasping at something that you watch eight times a week absolutely 
And how, what other shows have you been on the Tonys for? Oh, boy. Um, let's go back. Lacage. What was after that? Crybaby. Adam's Family didn't. Catch Me If You Can. Um, Kinky Boots. And then I did twice for Rob Ashford's. Uh, Rob Ashford just choreographed the Tonys in oh, general. Okay. And so we performed, you know, we did the opening number and then we do the interludes and stuff like that. Oh, very fun. Yeah. And earlier you talked about the importance of an out-of-town tryout. And uh-huh. I, I think that sometimes that's where you can fix all the problems. Uh-huh. And um, you had to go to a terrible location for American in Paris, didn't oh, you? Oh, it was the worst. I mean, who in their right mind would ever want to go to Paris? <laughs> who? I, I really don't know who. Um, no, it was one of the most thrilling, beautiful... Life-changing, really, for me, life-changing moments of my life. And what theater were you? Were you in an opera house over there? We were. We were at the Châtelet. Oh. Yeah. It was in the first R.E.D. Small. So it's like the center, like, uh, it's in the, literally in the center of town. Like the first, the first center of all of the towns. And then how did uh, you get into this, uh, this show? It was a new choreographer for you uh, mm-hmm. in comparison to your, your, your history. Um... I really don't know, to be frank. Maybe he was uh, Some luck. I don't know. Some luck. I, I don't know. Maybe he was drinking that day. I don't know. No. Uh, my friend Dante is uh, his associate on the show. Um, honestly, I think she kind of turned to him while we were auditioning. And basically, I'm hoping this is, this is what I've made up in my mind is the only reason I got this show. Because to be frank, my audition was not great. It really wasn't great. Um... I think she turned to him and was like, he will do great for this show. I think she spoke up for me. And, um... And she was right. I, I, I don't know. I I've, saw, never, I, I've never seen me in the show, so I don't know. Well, I've seen you in clips of the show, so... Uh, um, so, you know, and thank God she did. And I think he appreciates me, and I think he appreciates what I do. Because it, it really came down to... It's funny, it's so funny. We, The last part of the audition was partnering a girl on point which I've I didn't do since I was 18 years old you know that's what that's what I did in high school I was trying to be in a company back then but I hadn't partnered a girl on point I don't know how to you know I don't remember how to really maneuver a girl that way I remember how to maneuver a girl in a Rob Ashford way you throw over your head she does six backflips and then you catch her on your neck that's how it works (laughs) you know um so it was getting it was there was a, a a curve that I had to go back to um and I really think that she pushed for me and I I think that's one of the reasons and so once again you're in a show as a dancer that won best choreography yes and oh yeah that was also for kinky boots so I mean so for you to say oh I don't know why they cast me obviously if you're a dancer in a show that the template is winning best choreography you're doing something very right listen me and Nathan Peck have this 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 gig running with Jerry Mitchell if you just hire Nathan Peck and I We'll win you a Tony. Absolutely. Because that's, that's how it's gone so far. Between Lacage and now Kinky Boots, we'll win you Tonys. That's yes. how this goes. Yes. Well, now hopefully you have a future with, um, it's a, uh, I just blanked on his name, who did um, American Paris. Christopher Wilden. Yes. Um, but one thing, you got uh, an award that I think is a fantastic award that I have never seen, but it's the uh, Best Ensemble Award. How cool is that? Yes. I've, I don't know if I've ever heard of it. I believe it's fairly new. Um, but I, I really do appreciate this award. This award means 
so much. The fact that uh, Actors' Equity recognizes an ensemble that works their freaking tail off. And this ensemble, for American in Paris, we work our freaking butts off. It's, it's in the top three hardest shows I've ever done in my life. So I'm really glad that they've started acknowledging, even just for us, even just to have that to know we've, we've earned something. I wish one day the Tonys would do the same. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's kind of uh, the end of my questions. I mean, and you'll uh, have a, a career, hopefully, for a while um, in American Paris and in the future. But are there any other, like, silly stories or uh, moments that you were like, oh, I want to share this? Or are you like, it's Ooh, my day off, Brad. I'm done. Silly stories. <laughs> I think I have to say one of my favorite moments of all times with the show is possibly the, I think it was Vogue. It was Vogue or Vanity Fair. I don't really remember which one. Um, photo shoot for Kinky Boots. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was maybe one of the most epic days. Mind you, I showed up an hour late. I overslept. I showed up a disaster. They were beating... We, they had makeup artists beating my face. The whole shoot maybe took about two and a half minutes. Really? At the end of the day. And it's the most fantastic photo you've ever seen. I look at that photo, and I'm like, how did we get that in... I think they played... Um, Sex is in the heel. I think they played Sex is in the heel once, and they were like, "Okay, we're done. That's it." And that's what came on Vanity Fair, after like three or four hours of getting ready. Oh my god! I know. Isn't that funny? That is crazy. Yeah, that was the whole experience with Kinky Boots. No matter what it was, that may be the most magical show I've ever worked on in my entire life. Oh, it. it there's something very, very, very special that happened with that show. So. Everything that surrounded it was, is magical. And do you see? Do you associate? Uh, associate? Do you associate direct or associate choreograph or choreograph on your own? Or are you like you like your place where you go? No, I'm trying to. I'm I'm trying to um, be uh, an associate. I also run. Presently, um, I'm an artistic director at Working Artist Theater. If you go to watproject.com, um, it's for people in this business who want to try other things. For instance, myself as a choreographer or a wardrobe supervisor as a director, you know, to get people in our working business to try things outside their comfort zone that they want to pursue. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks. Because there's nothing, I mean, that's some of the most fulfilling things I've done in my life have been things that were outside my comfort zone. Absolutely. But I didn't have the courage or the medium or someone saying, try it. So that's great. What is what is it called? Working? Working Artist Theater Project. Oh, well, I'm going to look it up, too. Do right, it. So I guess we'll come to uh, a lovely close. Uh, if I could end this with a, a song, uh, it could be from uh, any of the shows that you've worked on. It doesn't even have to be a Broadway show. Uh, what would it be? <laughs> Only because we always laugh about it. Okay. So in King Boots, there's a song, um, uh, Lana Lola, if any of you know it. And because it's so incredibly high, thank you, Stephen Aramis, it's so incredibly high, and I'm even on the bottom line, you can't pronounce the words, so we always laugh that the words are, step in, we're glam, welcome. But because the second one, I can't ever pronunciate because it's so high, I always end up singing, welcome, <laughs> because that's all I can get out, usually at the end of the day. So I'll end you on that. 
Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, Charlie Sutton. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Leave expectations at the door. Just let your eyes explore my cinematic flair. From my boot to derriere, I've got a lazy silken feel. With arms as hard as steel, I am freedom, I'm constriction, a potpourri of contradiction. Leave that humdrum pace of come behind. Once you walk inside these doors, you're mine. Blow your mind and light your fire And bam, here I am Yes, ma'am, I'm alone And light your flame Ooh-wee, that's me, Ebony I am alone Step into a dream Where glamour is extreme Welcome to my fantasy We give good epiphany So come and take my hand And welcome to the life No need to be embarrassed I like being looked at And you like to look I know a way to make us both happy Dream. Welcome to my fantasy. We give good.